guys this is the walking well podcast thank you so much for listening it's season four and as you know we've been getting into how to be our best selves and whatever that means for showing up in the roles in our lives and so as a continuation um, we have been talking about all different aspects of sexuality and i'm so 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 excited for the topic that we have today as you know this is not one for your littles so if you're listening with your littles in the car or whatever just pause that and pick it up later when it's just you and some adult company. Um, But I have Erica Harvey on this week. And oh my goodness, I'm so excited because she's going to be talking about pornography. Yes, you heard that correctly. Pornography. Shocker. But um, I'm really excited because I think that this is definitely a topic that we have to approach more boldly and more honestly, especially in church circles. And so Erica is going to do just that. Um, so I know Erica from church. She is an amazing woman of God and like a faith giant and all of that good stuff. You know, I'm bringing you guys only the best because these are my people. So <laughs> I have these individuals in my life and they bless my socks off. And so like, how dare I withhold that from y'all? So I have brought her onto the podcast. So welcome, Erica. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm glad to be here. I'm really honored to be here. Thanks so much, Shalon. Yeah, super excited. Okay, so pornography. Tell us a little bit about how um, how your story and your life intersect with that. Okay. Um, well, I uh, grew up in a single-parent home. I lived in Pensacola. I grew up there. Uh, my dad was in Tallahassee. And um, my exposure to it was uh, curiosity and really unintentional. I was that kid that would try to go find Christmas gifts when I didn't need to be trying to look for them and came across something else, um, just being nosy um, in uh, uh, my mom's room and not understanding being uh, really a preteen at the time, just didn't really know how to comprehend what I'd come across and, but recognizing being prepubescent, okay, this is, this is inciting something in me. And so I knew, um, I got saved at an early age. So I, I knew the spirit, the Holy Spirit was just like, okay, this is not right. But as a kid, you're like, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm still curious about it. I don't really understand or know what this is. And I never said anything. And it really developed just from curiosity to really a um, coping mechanism Um, from preteen, I'd say about probably 13, 14 years old until my mid 20s, um, mid to late 20s that I I struggled with it. And um, I definitely didn't realize it was, as they say, as bad as it was until I got older, because there were times I would... um, I mean, nobody in my family knew. My parents didn't know that I struggled with that or that it was a problem for me until after I started dealing with it in an, as an adult. And then I shared it with them. And um, but my story with it is it was and I think that's the case for a lot of people is they, they stumble across it, whether it's male or female, they kind of stumble across it. They see something on TV or see a movie or a magazine or something of that nature. And then not really knowing how to comprehend or not having that degree of conversation, open conversation and dialogue with their parent or guardian or whomever, they don't say anything, but they continue to 
go back to it and explore it. And um, that is, I think in a nutshell, kind of just my first exposure to um, pornography um, as a preteen. Okay, so you stumbled um, really honestly into it. Um, And I think, especially just from hearing other people's stories, that that is typically how that goes, that it's not necessarily something intentional. It's um, they were looking through their parents' stuff and, oh my gosh, I stumbled upon this thing. Um, And even now, I think you don't have to really go looking for it with, you know, the the wonderful wide world web um, that makes it so accessible that it's really seeking people out. Um, so uh, we have a lot we've we're having on a lot of different levels in society conversations about porn um, and the impact on a lot of different things, mental health, um, relational health, mm-hmm. uh, just all sorts of different things, masculinity, all of that. Um, so we're also hearing pornography addiction. So like, can you speak to that a little bit? Like what would be, what is a pornography addiction? Do you have experience with that? How would someone begin to know that they are addicted Sure. I think the key thing with addiction is when you realize, okay, I'm uh, almost can't help it. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's like, I can't help it. I keep going back to this thing. Um, like I said, for me, it became a coping mechanism um, of when I was stressed or when there was something going on in my life that I was upset about, but didn't know how to communicate that. Um, I didn't have the greatest relationship with my dad growing up and not even really understanding or having that communication line with him and then being, like I said, prepubescent, really before I even uh, um, got to puberty, I came across pornography. So it was like probably the worst timing possible because I'm not even understanding what's going on, uh, you know, in my body in terms of uh, sexuality. And then I'm being exposed to such a highly sexual thing. And I think with pornography addiction or t- defining addiction, definitely it was, it's, it's okay. You, can, you find yourself going to it when you know it, you're sneaking to do it you know you're sneaking to do it it's a secret um it is a coping mechanism for stress or for self-esteem issues that was definitely something that ended up feeding into that addiction more for me with self-esteem issues and in a way vicariously trying to see myself as the women you know um of of being this sexual prowess um and detaching from really discovering my own sexuality and trying to live, like I said, mentally, vicariously through what I thought and what I was kind of interpreting and understanding about sexuality and intimacy between a man and a woman. Um, And I think with uh, addiction, when you realize it gets to a point that um, you, I would say you can't, or you feel like you can't, you can't tell anyone or you there's the, you know, and I'm just getting a little further. So I won't go too far into it in terms of, I can't, I can't share this, a shame aspect. It's like, okay, so what you're dealing with, that's, it's got a stronger hold on you than you think, you know, you're thinking about it. You're waiting until you can get back home or whatever in the privacy of your home or your space to engage in that uh, activity. That's, that's definitely an addiction. It's something that has a stronghold on you that, um, that, in a way you excuse me, in a way you feel powerless to to respond otherwise or to stop, just you know, stop. And sometimes you'll think, Oh well, this is not a big deal, I can stop. But then you find yourself still repeating those same habits and then you realize right after the 
the the engaging in it, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? You know, it's like that that wake up call of um, I have a friend that uh, has dealt with drug addiction, and so just kind of that moment of when you wake up right after engaging in it or getting that high, so to speak, even with pornography, then you realize, oh man, I just fell again or I just did it again. It's that realization, like, okay, this is this is not just something. This is a lot bigger than uh, you know. Oh, I'm just watching a movie every once in a while, you know. Okay. So I think um, you bring up something. Well, I can imagine that people are kind of thinking to themselves like, okay, so because porn is so prevalent and in, and even just in like therapy circles, I know um, in like it's uh, people encourage porn, porn is considered normal. Um, maybe not necessarily the violent depictions, but like porn, that's something people do. Right. Um, so with that kind of line of thought that I know is a very kind of like, yeah, this is how people live and think. Um, mm-hmm. What makes porn a problem? Okay. Well, actually, let me back up and add this little line in there because a lot of people think that pornography is just the triple X movies mm-hmm. or videos. And truth of the matter is, porn, you know, comes from the Greek word of pornography, pornea. So it's really anything that that distorts uh, a normal sense of sexuality. So that is even in erotic literature. And um, I saw my porn addiction tr- transgress or trans transfer from movie, video to still image, trying to rationalize and make it seem like it's not that bad um, from the actual what we do consider, in, you know, pornography to what we call soft porn, still images, um, erotic literature, um, different books, things like that. That is all forms of porn, and I think the 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 perspective of what porn is has to be expanded beyond just the triple X movies. Because especially as a young adult, one of the things that um you know that <laughs> found myself doing when I after my my first marriage divorce and I was single, coping with all of the emotions with that, it was like okay, well, movies out, but then there was the erotic literature books, and it was a way of trying to um rationalize the addiction further without feeling like I was doing the wrong thing. So yeah, I just wanted to add that porn is not just movies. It's it's literature, it's soft porn images, uh, still shots, things like that. Um, even audio. I mean, there's audio books now there, that erotic literature is in the form of audio books. That's still a method and a form of pornography. Um, so definitely wanted to, to lay that out there because I could think porn is like, oh, I don't watch triple X movies. But I like certain movies that really, or TV shows that really have a lot of sexual content. And that technically really is is porn. I mean, not just the kissing scene, but really going into a little bit more. That's, you know, that's definitely from a pornography. Um, but in terms of the complications, uh, does it add for unmarried people um, and for married people? It gives a false understanding, a false uh, um yeah, false understanding of what's healthy sexuality and sensuality between a, um, a man and woman really are. Um, and for the unmarried person, like I said, when I was single, it was, oh, well, at least I'm not sleeping around. Mm-hmm. It was it was the complication of, okay, well, I, I will take care of this need by myself, but it was not done, it was not, again, it's using a perverse form. So it conditions 
for an unmarried person, it conditions you to an unhealthy way of, of understanding pleasure. One is just you and you're using something else. So it's not even, um, and that's breaching a whole other thing in terms of, uh, 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 masturbation, but it is, it's definitely including anyone, someone else. And as we know in the word, it talks about, you know, the marriage bed for married people. It's, it's, it's holy and undefiled, but that's marriage bed between two people. So whether you're, even when you're married and you're introducing porn into your marriage bed or your, your intimacy, it's bringing other people in when that's not God's design. Um, and from going from a married dealing with pornography, engaging in pornography, whether it's an addiction or not, it then sets the stage for problems in marriage where you've been conditioned for however long, whether it's just years or months, to see and respond sexually in a certain way that now your spouse is... You can, it's kind of hard to receive that from your spouse. It's hard to receive that intimacy, that connection from your spouse, because you've gotten yourself mentally and physiologically locked into responding according to a certain stimuli. So it definitely um, uh, shifts what I believe is like a natural sense of stimulation because you've been going about it through the mechanism of porn. Um, so, yeah. Okay. That was deep. That was a lot. That was good. So next kind of like ringer question. Um, so pornography is a problem for women too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that's what makes me a lot more passionate about discussing it because being a Christian young, growing up in the church, you hear about pornography may be addressed, but it's usually from the perspective of men. Mm-hmm. Most times we think of, even if a person says, oh, well, um, they're married and they're dealing with pornography. Most times your mind goes to the husband's engaging in it. You don't think the woman's dealing with it. You don't think that it's something that she had dealt in her life before getting married. Um, it's usually focused on men, on the men. And I think because they say men are very visual creatures, but at the same time, to a degree, so are women. Again, I think the um, introduction, and they may have been, I think, I really believe it was disguised as romance novels back in the day. In the 90s, it was a form of soft porn. Some of them got pretty descriptive without getting vulgar descriptive of uh, intimacy and sexual scenes in the storyline. And that was a big thing. It still is really, I think, a big thing in, in, for women as far as books you like to read. And it sets that imagery in your mind that if you're not, not even careful, because that's something that having dealt with addiction, I'm very um, keen on if there's a certain scene in a movie and it's like a love scene, I'm going to fast forward it. You know, my husband and I, we, he dealt with it too before we got married. And so we're very sensitive to those things to not, you know, engage in it. If it's like a, a show that has more than a couple, we're just like, okay, we can't keep watching this show. But if it's like one scene here or there, we fast forward. We don't just sit there and just tolerate it because we don't want to open that door. But as far as the porn being a problem for, for women, absolutely. And I don't think there's a lot of resources. There's not a lot of conversation, especially in the faith-based community, because we have this preconception or misconception about women, you know, the good girls being a good girl and Oh, porn. That's a, that's a nasty thing. That's a, that's a male thing. That's a, a boy's thing. And it's really not, but when there's a stigma on it, it makes it even harder for women 
whether it's a teenage girl, an unmarried woman, even perhaps a widow. You know, that's a transition of life for widows um, to go from, okay, you're married, you have a husband, and you have intimacy in your marriage, to now you're by yourself. How do you deal with that? And romance novels, it may not go straight to, you know, the, the triple X movies, but as far as romance novels and other things like that, that, you know, seem to pacify that, that sense of, of, of give a form of comfort um, is something that I think we have to be very careful of and have those open dialogue and conversations about um, because it, it sneaks in in very crafty ways. So, like, you know, we, we, you touched on the fact that when we think porn, we think men. So, like, do you feel that porn impacts women the same way or differently than it impacts men? Um, I, in talking with mom, my husband, about just his struggle with pornography um, prior to us meeting and sharing about mine, I think that it impacts us differently in the the space of talking about it openly. I think men, it's a lot more common and expected for men to talk about it talk about it openly than women because of the cultural stigma on uh, women and I mean even in pornography, typically it's the women who are objectified. So it's like how how sometimes it's hard for people to understand why a woman would be why why she would be why would porn be appealing to her because the woman's objectified. But again, there's a lot of things that can play into that. Whether it is um, out of a a obviously it's from a sense of brokenness, no matter what way you look at it, whether it is relational brokenness, whether it is self-esteem brokenness. Um, all kinds of things, but I think as far as it impacting women differently than men, I think that's the main way it impacts women differently. Um, I think overall in its effect, no. Overall in the effect of it um, in relationships or in marriage or as a single person, no, I just think the the presence of it, in, in it's, it's just, uh, it's a lot more easier for a man to talk about it openly and not feel that uh shame the same way women do because mm-hmm. there's that uh, what's it called a double standard a double standard if you will about it okay so um getting a little bit more personal how did pornography impact your own understanding of like your own sexuality we talk you know a little bit about how even in Christian circles, talking about sex can be really like taboo still. And I know like our spiritual lineage, taboo, nothing, nothing is taboo. And so I think we're really um, blessed in the way that they've just been like, hey, this is what it is. This is what it's not, you know, but I don't think everybody gets that, um, that layout. And so um, for you, how did you experience kind of the, the fingerprint of pornography on your own understanding of your sexuality? Well, one, I don't think I really ever had a good understanding of my own sexuality until honestly my early 30s and I'm 34 and that was because of the very early exposure to pornography and then just trying to figure it out on my own you know my mom was not a person I couldn't talk to I just didn't know how to 
Um, and I think just with me being the oldest, as is probably the case with a lot of uh, firstborn daughters, they're like, depending on your, your parents' uh, conversation with their parents about it, and sometimes just the the parenting wisdom they have at that time, they don't really know how to approach that subject or set the foundation for that subject to be um, a conversation piece in a very open way. So it was, okay, you can talk to me about it, but that was kind of it. I didn't really know how to. I was that shy kid. So I never really understood a whole lot about my sexuality or who I was authentically sexually until I got in my 30s. And even then, to be honest, there's still a bit of discovery there because the exposure to pornography of thinking, okay, well, this is how I'm supposed to respond. This is how I should respond because of what I'm seeing. And of course, that's acting. You know, it's it's a show. It's you know, it's it's not real. Um, these are the things I'm supposed to like. So really taking my cues from that versus what is how am I really wired? God, how am I really wired? Um, not based on someone else or something else. And uh, yeah, impacting my understanding, it, it completely I think it shaped what I thought my sexuality was. Um, it was a means of, okay, well, I had, like I said before, I had self-esteem issues growing up. And so to see a woman seemingly take control in the bedroom and all of this, it was like, okay, I, I saw it as a means of, okay, well, I don't feel that way. I really don't see myself that way. So I'm using porn to, like I said, vicariously live out the way I think I'm supposed to be. And in my, I wouldn't say pre-Christ, I think my pre-renewed stage of life, because I was, I was saved, you know, I was saved, but I think the understanding that renewed my mind aspect and engaging in premarital sex before marriage uh, and everything, even for my first marriage, it was with the sexuality of what I'm thinking I'm supposed to be based on porn and what I'm supposed to uh, be into or interested in based on porn. Um, because, hey, this is what it looks like men like, so this is how I feel I need to be. And so there was it was like a whole identity crisis in terms of my sexuality um, as a result of that, er- especially early exposure, like I said, before I even got to puberty. So it was like, okay, I'm seeing this, but I'm then getting ready to deal with physiologically these changes, these things, and trying to reconcile them both and really doing it in silence, doing it um, on my own or trying to do it on my own. Gotcha. Okay, so we know porn is not good. We know porn um, is indeed a struggle for women. So as believers, like how do we begin to untangle the pornography issue from our souls, um, specifically for singles? And then also if you can speak to married as well. Um, I think the key thing is um, for a believer is understanding and really continuing to renew your mind that once you've come into the understanding that that is your past, um, releasing yourself from that condemnation. And that's that's hard, whether you're married or not. Um, it's it's really hard because the truth of the matter is, as we're taught um, in our, you know, our uh, spiritual leadership, spiritual lineages, wisdom violated, chaos created. And so even though I, I, I may say that I didn't really have the wisdom about it when I was younger, 
I do. Deep down, you kind of know when you're doing something that's wrong. And so that created chaos. Um, but at the same time, recognizing that there's grace, that you are, um, you know, renewed. You are renewed. You are being renewed. And those things that uh, you struggle with, when you open up about them, you get the help you need, whether it's just you and God. Um, with me, I didn't go to a therapist about it. I didn't really go to counseling in the church about it. I really just went to the Lord and was just like, okay, this is a problem. I don't want it to continue to be a problem. And I just really um, allowed God to work on me and just start getting out of trying to do it myself. That's the thing is I would keep falling back into it because I was trying to stay good, be good, not mess up, not slip up. And then once I realized, okay, you can't do this in your own strength, clearly, because it's not working. You'll be, uh, as you say, um, clean or uh, abstinent for a while with it. And then you fall back into it when some big crisis happens in your life. And stop, you know, stop uh, trying to rely on my own strength, my own wherewithal to keep me from it. And saying, okay, God, each time I felt tempted remembering what God has declared concerning I'm new in Christ. You know, if any man is uh, uh, being Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I love that passage in, I believe it's the first Corinthians. Um, I love it because even now I have to remember when I sense the enemy trying to speak shame uh, over me or shame in regards to the things of uh, that my husband and I are dealing with because both of our history, our, our history with pornography is like, okay, no, I'm new in Christ. Old things are, have become new. And in that, it's a, it's a mind renewal um, of God can restore. God has restored. God will redeem. And it's a moment-by-moment moment thing of dealing with shame, um, but recognizing, well, one, I'm not living in the dark about it. It's not something that's a struggle for me in terms of, uh, you know, in still engaging or being, you know, their time, uh, being tempted by it anymore. But even in past, you know, retrospect, that was the old me. That was the old me. And so I think with dealing with shame is understanding grace. That's the key thing. There's no way to really get around dealing with shame until you really have a revelation of grace and what that means and mercy um, and, and, and what God desires for you, even in those mistakes or the addiction, regardless of the time that you spent in those things. Um, no one is exempt from the grace of God. Gotcha. Um, were there any like, because I'm thinking about like me, I always like things to do like, okay, what do I need? How do I practically like begin to walk this out? And so like, were there practical things that you did or didn't do as you were going, okay, I'm renewing my mind. What were some of the things that you like, you know, hands on were doing um, to not fall back in? I set up um, parental controls on my computer because when I really started to deal with it, I was single. So it wasn't like there was someone else living in the in my apartment with me that could really hold me accountable in the home every single day. Um, I would set up, uh, I think like on search engines, I'd set it where the filter was strict and I'd set a password and I would actually forget the password. It wasn't, it wouldn't be one that was really a personal password, but I would set it 
So then once I set that password, I don't remember what it is, so I can't turn it off. Um, I know there's um, um, uh, there was a uh, software, there's a software out there now, you may have heard of it, um, I believe it's called Covenant Eyes, and at the time I didn't, you know, I couldn't afford it, but that was kind of what got me thinking, well, what other things can I do? What safeguards can I set up for myself? Of course, accountability is a big one. Um, when I started to share with my parents, it was like, wow, okay, even though they can't, they can't help me, they can't do the work for me, just knowing, okay, this is not a deep, dark secret that nobody else knows but me and God anymore. Um, that helped free up, I guess, in a way, the a part of the excuse to continue in secrecy about it because I told my parents. Um, but definitely safeguards on, like, search filters on websites and things. I would limit what I would, how much time I would spend on the computer. Um, I, of course, I got rid of the books that I had purchased that were erotic literature, any movies. I mean, like, I got rid of it rather than just trying to put it away. It's like, well, that's still easy access for you versus straight throwing it out, you know. Um, and for me, <laughs> the books, because I love books, it was like, okay, should I throw them away? Or should I do them? And I'm like, well, if I don't believe in this and I don't agree with it, regardless of how new the books are, may have just gotten them a month ago, I don't want to perpetuate this for anyone else. So I would just literally just take them to the dumpster. I wouldn't even put them in my trash can because if I put them in my trash can and they're still there until I take the trash out, it's still tempting to go get it out the trash can. You know, it's kind of like pushing the mind of when you think about someone with a drug addiction, they flush them. It's like, you don't just throw it away. You've got to actually get them out of your space immediately. And so that was definitely one of the things that I did when I made up my mind that, okay, I am, I'm, I'm going to do my part to get this, get, get the exposure from easy access to myself. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, filters on search engines, limiting the amount of time that I was, um, on the computer, um, movies, being mindful, that was definitely one of the things that I know at the time, some of my friends may not have understood, well, have you seen that movie or have you seen this movie? Like, no, have you seen that TV show? And I may have started to watch it and then realized it's got a lot of sexual scenes in it. This is inciting something in me. I'm single, I'm by myself, and I'm dealing with this. I don't need to watch it. And I'm saying, no, it just wasn't for me. And it may if you are dealing with that and you start to make those changes, you're going to get some flack. You're going to get some, oh, that's, you just, that's a little extreme. However extreme you need to be and to whatever lengths you need to go to safeguard yourself, um, that's what you need to do because it's about you. Um, and people are not going to always understand that. Even some people in the church are not going to understand why you don't listen to certain music. That's another thing. Music. Um, there's some music that is going to put you in that place. It's going to put you in that frame of mind. It's going to put you in that mood. And I did not need to be put in that mood. So there were some songs from back in the day or whatever that I was like, I can't listen to this. I don't need to listen to this. And so I changed what radio stations that I was listening to, what songs I was listening to. Um, there were some CDs that I had that I got rid of. I had to get rid of because and sometimes I like old school. I'm an 80s baby. So 80s, 90s, it may not have been as overtly vulgar as some of the things now direct in terms of sexual content and, you know, um, 
uh, references, but I, I didn't want to take any chances. So I just had to do what I had to do. So definitely being, um, I guess, acting immediately. Don't procrastinate on it. Because sometimes the more you procrastinate on making those changes, those those tangible things, the longer you can, you know, the enemy's going to have to talk you about, do you really need to do this? Is it, is it, is it really that serious? Does it take all that? Yes, it takes all that for me. And so that was definitely one of the things as far as beginning to untangle um, is dressing those tangible things of what am I doing? What am I seeing? What am I, what's going in my ear gate, my eye gate conversation? You know, um, if I was talking to a man, getting to know him and the conversation started growing a little inappropriate, I'm like, um, no, we got to cut this off because it wasn't even at a phase where we needed to be discussing that. And I recognized with being in the, I would say, the, the throes of, of coming out of the addiction, I didn't need premature conversations about that. So I definitely guarded my conversations. And for a while, I intentionally stayed single. I was like, I don't even want to entertain a relationship right now because the idea of a relationship romantic thoughts lead to these other thoughts and okay now I have this urge and then my go-to was pornography to deal with it not prayer not word not God it was go to pornography so I had to really abstain from relationships for a little while you did a lot (laughs) (laughs) you did a lot but I I love that you said you have to do what you need to do for you because I know in different seasons of my life um just knowing like, okay, this is a, this is a bad habit. It's just something I want to, I want to end like that whole, I have gone through phases where I'm like, oop, yeah, we're done. When CDs were a thing, we're tossing the CDs, we're getting, you know, whatever, just because it was like, okay, God, I want to get somewhere. And where my soul is at right now, we're not, <laughs> we're not making the decisions that we need to. And so I love that you said, do whatever you have to do for you. And, and even understanding that some people are not going to understand and, you know, think that you're doing the most. Um. Yeah, I think um, also with marriage, because I know that was me focused on single, but if you're married and dealing with it, accountability is the first thing. One, you can't ever deal with anything that you or even if it's your spouse is dealing with it, still continuing secrecy. So you have to pull back the covers on that. And whether you are the spouse dealing with the addiction um, or the spouse who's uh who's not dealing with it but you know your 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 spouse is there has to be a degree of one lot of prayer because it can and it will make you insecure um my first husband dealt with it and it was something that i didn't realize i had not come to the honest realization that okay it's a problem for me but I was also at the place where I didn't want to keep continuing in it. And um, it, it will take nothing but the grace of God and lots of prayer and understanding that really, although it seems like it's about the spouse who's not committing the wrong, it's really deeper in that person than just, oh, well, I'm not satisfied with you or you're not attractive to me. And that's the first thing the enemy will do is try to cause even a deeper wedge in marriage of, oh, well, he's looking at this or she's looking at that, so you're not enough. 
And it's like, no, there's, there's, it's a lot deeper than just the outside thing of, oh, it's about sex. Um, or it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, we're not being intimate enough. I'm not hanging from the chandelier enough for you. And that's one of the first things that the offended spouse will think and feel and say is like, oh my gosh, like what, why are you going to that when I'm here all the time? I'm ready for, you know, and it's like, no, it's deeper than that. There's something else going on deeper in that person than just a matter of sex. And so I think with untangling that um, for a married person is the accountability of one, the, the offending spouse has to humble themselves enough to be transparent and to say, hey, when you're tempted, tell your spouse. But then that spouse who's receiving that information also has to get to a place of maturity to not completely flip off the rails if they say, hey, I'm tempted or I, I started to, but I stopped. Because in our emotions, we naturally want to, you know, lock up and be like, uh, but it's like, wait a minute, this is a process. And for some couples, it's going to take some years, you know, uh, not just with the actual addiction, getting over that part, but even, of course, the, the healing and restoration part is a whole nother degree. Um, I remember my husband and I, uh, Nick and I, when we first started our courtship, you know, I remember he shared with me um, when he may have been tempted to. And I'm like, okay, well, one, I'm thinking in my in my head, oh, boy, here we go. You know, I'm kind of locking up. I'm getting a little paralyzed because I'm thinking I'm thinking about my first marriage. And we weren't even engaged yet, but I'm, like, freezing thinking about that. But then I was also like, okay, well, hold on. He is man enough. He's got enough God in him to tell me this, even in courtship. So there's that open communication. There's that transparency. There's that accountability of I'm tempted or even if. Hey, I, I, I slipped up, I went to site or whatever, um, and vice versa. It also encouraged me to be honest about if I was tempted to. And in our courtship, we had a lot of safeguards um, because of our past with pornography of, you know, not being uh, in the same place by ourselves for too long. We didn't hang over at you know, each other's houses late at night. Um, we didn't kiss until we got married, but that was our personal individual decision because it was like, we know us. And we just didn't want to give room for that to lead to something else. But we were definitely honest when, man, okay, I fell or I, I went to a, a, a erotic literature website or whatever it was. We were honest with when we had those slip moments and it did not create a sense of insecurity as I at first was thinking it would. Um, but in marriage, you definitely have to, um, and even in those cases, definitely have, may, have a, may have to have a counselor because like I said, whether you're the offended spouse or the offending spouse, there's so many things going on on how do I remain approachable so my, my wife feels safe telling me when she's struggling, when it's a tough day, when it's really been on her mind. Um, how do I not feel condemned by telling my husband that it was a tough day, I really struggled mentally with this. And um, but yeah, grace, prayer, keep it praying together about it and over it and having certain scriptures in 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 mind as you're dealing with it and untangling that pornography issue as a married person is very crucial. I can't speak directly to it in terms of my own personal experience because um, my husband and I, we haven't dealt with it in our marriage. And then my husband before we weren't even in a place where he was willing to be dealt with honestly and, and, you know, consistently and transparently, 
but um, just what I have experienced and know, and it's that accountability is big. And even accountability outside of your spouse. Um, for men, I know that's easy to have accountability with other men who've dealt with it. Um, or even if they haven't, but most men have. They've had some kind of exposure to it, even if it didn't get to an addiction place. Um, but for women, same thing. Even if you're married, have an accountability person, a covenant sister who you know is not a judgmental, not a Pharisee, not a Sadducee personality that you can say, hey, I need, you know, check in with me, like, hey, what scriptures are you reading? What, you know, just checking in with you, um, not to void your accountability with your spouse, but just to add an extra layer of that to, you know, what you're doing. So, so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was so good. Cause I, I think um, that piece about staying open um, and knowing how to respond when someone comes to you and says, Hey, so this happened. Um, mm-hmm. Cause if that, that flow is clogged up, it's so hard to move forward as a couple. Um, and I love that you spoke to kind of as the offended party, you know, how you need to sort of carry yourself and, and, you know, if you guys are trying to move through this and move forward. Um, all right. So let's switch gears a little bit. We talked really early on about how, you know, kids don't have to go look for pornography. It's there. Um, and oftentimes it finds them, especially with the advent of the Internet, which is lovely. Um, but so I know a lot of parents kind of their their kids are younger and younger, you know, 10, 11, 9, you know, where they're you know, exposed to pornography. And I'm not quite the, I'm not quite sure what the average age is um, statistically, but I know young kids are just, it's just Mm -hmm. there for them. So um, can you speak to like what parents can do for their kids that have been exposed or struggling um, with pornography? Absolutely. Um, So for, uh, I am a bonus mom of a now 11 year old. And uh, one thing that um, I know and see, even outside of my own situation, is, as you said, younger kids are getting more exposed to it. And I think part of that is because of technology, whether that's cell phone and cell phones that are not, um, if the cell phone's not very well locked down, guarded, parental controls, it's very easy to stumble across something, whether looking for it, like I said, intentionally or not. And I think one of the key things as a parent is get educated on what security measures, what safety controls and and, um, measures are out there, um, what apps, you know, are out there for if you do get your uh, child a phone or even a teenager, you know, I mean, that's subject for conversation as far as age and then getting to them to a place of, you know, uh, individual responsibility, but still what uh what apps are out there and if you don't know get in contact with someone who knows technology who knows okay well this is how you lock this down this is how you set up this whether it's youtube or even sites that they can browse on the phone um on their browsers you know on the phone um on the computer one of the popular things people always you hear and see is don't put a computer in a child's room um because obviously there's a door Unless you have a very clear, open policy of the computer's facing, the screen is facing the door, if the child's on the computer, the door's not to be closed, that kind of thing. But it's, um, it creates an ease of, of you know, and a temptation to do the wrong thing. Um, everyone wants to think, that child wouldn't do it, their child, that my child wouldn't do that, my child wouldn't look for that. But you don't know what conversations are had with, with their peers. 
at school, summer camp, you know, whatever it is, you don't know, you know, the conversation, you can't control the conversations of other children that their exposure and their conversations with your child can incite, can encourage, can spark the curiosity of. So whereas, yeah, you're like, oh, I didn't raise them that way. Where did they, just like we have friends that we talk to, they have friends they talk to. And, um, you know, that's that's definitely one thing I, I encourage parents to be mindful of. I mean, you can't always know, you know, obviously every conversation your child has with their friend when they're not around you or in your presence, but recognizing, you know, not having that uh, that uh, mindset of, oh, not my child, not my child, because, again, sometimes it's just the curiosity of them hearing something or seeing something, you know, like, like I did, and not really knowing how to express that or not having a personality that is um, comfortable with talking about those subject matters. And so they just kind of keep it between themselves, and they talk to their peers about, which, of course, you know, it's like, hey, 12, 11, 13-year-olds don't even know how much another 11, 12, 13-year-old may know. Um, it's not from a place of an adult wisdom, adult understanding, but... Um, you know, if they if their child has been exposed to it, don't act like you don't see it. If you know, see my my parents had no idea. My mom had no idea. Um, I think even in if she did, it was just not knowing how to address it and thinking, okay, well, I moved I moved it, so we're good. But don't not address it. You know, don't turn a blind eye and think it's just going to go away because the enemy takes those things just like he did with me. And those are seeds that the enemy will use um, to cause further destruction and chaos in that child's life as they get older, if it's not dealt with. And obviously as a child, you're not going to, children are not going to have that wherewithal and the wisdom that deep to understand how to deal with it at a very early age, unless there's conversation. But again, same thing with um, married, uh, with married um, individuals talking about it. Be open that, okay, if they say, oh, well, I saw this, or if they ask questions, sometimes we don't think as parents that our children are seeing what we watch. They're not, you know, we don't sometimes clue into, hey, they're paying attention to what we listen to. And what are you listening? What are you watching? Um, don't have the double standard of, oh, you can't watch that's inappropriate because it has a sexual scene in it. But then you're watching it. That's one thing that Maz and I, you know, we're very big on with um, with uh, our daughter. His daughter is, hey, there's some things with, uh, you know, like anime. It's not all good. And, you know, I remember um, we had a conversation. She didn't understand why we were saying you can't watch that. And I said, well, sweetie, this is not just because we're adults just trying to be mean. There are things that we don't watch either because it's not appropriate. And we didn't really go that deep, heavy into it. But we just let her know that us saying, no, you can't watch this is because we're trying to teach you to safeguard your ear gate, your eye gate. Um, and we do that same thing. So it's not a double standard thing. I know in, for 80s, 90s babies and even before, it was do as I say, not as I do, was the main um, modus operandi for parents. And I think nowadays you have to be very careful of that because children watch that. They see that. Uh, wait, dad said don't do this, but I see this. He has this collection. He has these magazines, whatever it is. Or he's watching this this show that I've seen glimpses of. It's like, oh, that's a little questionable, but he's telling me, you know, and I think that's children and teenagers. 
teenagers definitely will like, wait a minute, that's a little, you know, lopsided. So I think when they do it, when your child's been exposed, have those conversations early. If you don't know how to get help, seek help, get other um, parents wisdom who have children either that age or older who may have dealt with it to help you with those conversations. You know, don't be ashamed to do that um, because not everybody, um, you know, has at that place or at that time or season of their parenthood life, like I said, the wisdom or wherewithal to address it, but it's better to get the uh, wisdom, the counsel than to just stay silent and let the thing manifest underneath, you know, the surface. Yes. <laughs> Man, that's good. Uh, all, all of it was good. Um, the double standard piece, because you're right, kids are watching and not even just watching, but listening. And I think, man, that so many times, sometimes, you know, as adults, we are guilty of exposing kids um, mm-hmm. to a lot of the things that we're like, wait, no, you can't, you know. So good. Okay. So as we wrap up, you've mentioned a lot of things, but any resources, favorite scriptures, anything that you could give someone um, or encouragement, even that's like currently walking through or walking out of um, a struggle with pornography. Um, Absolutely. Like I said, one of my favorite scriptures is uh, second Corinthians five 17. Um, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Um, Behold, all things are, are become new. Um, that is one of the, I think, the central scriptures in, that I've latched onto and I continue to not only just say it to say it, but I really meditate on that scripture at times when I get frustrated with, um, man, if I hadn't done that back then, then this wouldn't be an issue for me now. There wouldn't be something that's affecting you know, my marriage or we're having to work through. And it's like, wait. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? And um, renewing my mind to that, there's another scripture. um, I'm trying to quickly recall it. It is... uh, mm, uh, It is in the Old Testament. It's Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 25-3. Through, I believe 32 and this is a paraphrase of it but it's basically saying God is telling the Israelites he's like I will restore to you the years that the um, the locust has eaten the crawling locust the consuming locust the chewing locust and what was so powerful to me about that is he goes to the through stages of this locust from swarming to crawling, okay, it's consuming, it's chewing, like, I'll restore to you the years that those things have, that that has eaten, and for me, I look at that as, okay, you know what, God, that is a promise to your people, I'll restore to you the years, you know, you're under grace now, you're under, there's mercy, you know, you have that that understanding now, you have that knowledge and understanding now, I'll restore to you the things that, that pornography has stolen from you, and I'm seeing that, um, I'm seeing that just 
I'm seeing that happen. I'm seeing him restore. I mean, of course, there's conversations that, you know, my husband and I are having. And I'm like, man, you know, I just realized this. Like, God reveals things to me that I did not know, I did not understand about connecting this dot to that dot. Or maybe this is, you know, I think this is why that I, you know, respond this way. Or this is why, I mean, just opening my eyes to different things concerning it. But um, that's Joel chapter 2 verse 25 all the way through 32 but um that that scripture i think i was not even lo- looking for scripture dealing with uh renewing my mind and not allowing um uh self-condemnation to latch back on when i would get frustrated about things and you know and it's just like i was just reading and god just directed me to that passage and i was like wow wow just this promise he will restore to me the years that have been stolen from me, even if it was at my own hand, you know, even in my own hand in ignorance, he'll restore those things because that is, that is what, that's what Christ came for was to restore, redeem. And when we think sometimes redeem, we just thinking from a soul spiritual side, but it's also that brokenness, those things, those, the things that led to um, the addiction, those things that whether it was what someone said, what someone did for some people, there was a sexual uh, assault that may have been as their response to it. They went to porn. So it's a lot of things that can can lead a person down that path or open that door for that. But it's like God will restore those things and um, not by our power nor our might, but by his spirit. That's the thing I have to continue. OK, I can. Do things in the tangible, but it's, it's his Holy Spirit that's 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 working all in all in this thing. I can't get to a place of where it's all about well, what I do and don't do. And, you know, I can't get caught up in that. It's like his spirit is more powerful and capable than I will ever be um, at renewing my mind to 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 the truths of that as he just continually peels back the layers so those are my two favorite scriptures. In terms of other resources, um, I said there's a website called Covenant Eyes, um, and I think that's the one that has the software. Um, I said I have not used it myself, but there's there's some sites that have different software, other accountability um, types of programs for people dealing with pornography. But of course, the caveat is it's online, so you do have to gauge where you are in your, um, in not, I wouldn't say you are in the struggle with it. Um, and accountability overall, like if there's some churches have a ministry, some don't yet, but definitely the resource of having at least one or two, um, covenant people who you've been transparent and you are transparent with, that is a great resource because that person is also going to be praying with you, praying for you, praying over you um, in the midst of whether you're on the beginning of dealing with it, in the middle of it, and even at times in the end, you know, um, or if you have dealt with it, but you're still going through the, I call the mind renewal, the restoration part of it, have still having that accountability. That's a, a invaluable resource. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's a valuable resource. Those three things, scripture, um, staying in your word, you know, recognizing you can't do it in your own strength, in your own power, because that is going to ebb and flow based on sometimes how the, the day you have or how you feel and what's going on in your life. 
I'm nodding so hard. <laughs> yes. 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 So, so, so good. Okay. I keep saying everything's good because it is so powerful. And that little last bit was like a sermon and a word all on its own. Um, just about walking through anything difficult, anything challenging where you're like, okay, it's not, it's not going to be me, but I know I, I gotta, I gotta participate and cooperate. So Erica, you're me. Mm-hmm. People know that. They have experienced some of the awesomeness, but how can they connect with you? What do you have going on? Where can they hear more of the awesome things the Lord has put in your heart? Sure. Um, I am on um, Instagram. The handle is the lumen being. Um, I chalked that name up to my husband. It's like human being, but, you know, shining our light to uh, our life, using our life to share, um, heal, inspire, uh, nurture and encourage others. Um, and so I have my lovely earrings. I, I try to wear these probably a couple of times a week. I have these custom made earrings that have lumen being on them. One, it reminds me of something that God has called me to do, not just talking about pornography, but just encouraging people in, in general. But definitely that's a topic. I do have a website, the and that's spelled the L U M. I-N-B-E-I-N-G. So I'd be like, how do you spell Lumen Bing? But LumenBing.com on Facebook. You can find the same handle, the Lumen Bing, and Instagram. Not quite on Twitter. Can't seem to keep up with Twitter. So I stick with those three. Um, But that's where you can find me. I do have a couple of articles, um, things talking about uh, pornography self-esteem. Because like I said, that really, for me, is what I realized was that big tie. I think for some women, a lot of women, it ties into pornography or the pornography piece. Um, uh, from that comes self-esteem issues. So that, either direction. So I, I really like talking about self-esteem and uh, body image. That's something I dealt with uh, a lot growing up and even into adulthood. Um, but that's where people can find me, the woman being. Yay. Okay. So, um, you guys, obviously it's just, it's just been so good. It's been so good. And I'm so grateful. Erica, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Of course, of course. So you guys, um, as always, this is, again, I'm bringing you guys like people that are from my circle. And so, um, a lot of times I steal things from my people and I say it on the podcast. And so, um, I just, I'm going to continue, especially this season to just bring these amazing people that have such richness. You know, I think about the verse that says we have this precious treasure and earthen and clay vessels. And so I'm bringing you all my clay vessels guys (laughs) to talk about all the things, um, look in the show notes. I'm going to link all of Erica's, um, all of her handles so that you can follow her and know what's going on with her um, and how to connect with her. You don't want to miss that. So definitely Instagram, Facebook, website, plug in there. Um, And as always, you guys have an amazing week, boss it out, be exactly who God has intended for you to be and show up boldly in this week. So I love you guys. Bye. Bye.